This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. Good evening, good morning, welcome. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Hope everybody's got a great day planned for themselves later today on the East Coast. It'll be tomorrow for you folks, Central and uh, Mountain and Pacific time. But it is July 4th here on the East Coast, so happy 4th of July to everybody. Hope you have a great weekend planned with friends and family. Um, it's a very, very special day, I think often we uh, forget how important uh, the founding of this nation was, not just to us who live here, uh, but also to the world. Um, The United States has been a force of good and compassion throughout the world. Um, So keep that in mind as you head into the weekend and have your cookouts and enjoy whatever fireworks, whatever it happens to be. The other thing you need to know about today is that uh, this is the day that Stranger Things Season 3 is released. Now, I had heard somewhere along the way that um, the release was actually going to to happen at midnight as we move into the 4th. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Um, When I get off of the show here, I might take a look and see because I've been eagerly awaiting the season three of Stranger Things, as many people have. It was, uh, if you haven't seen the show, it's it's a show that uh, kind of pays homage to 1980s horror and 80s culture. Um, but it is a, I don't know, I don't know how you explain it. It's not horror. It's kind of uh, X-Files-esque um, without the investigation part. Uh, and it focuses on a bunch of kids Um who are trying to struggle through all of this. Uh, that's a really poor description, I know, but it, it's pretty cool. The second season was a little bit disappointing in my estimation. First season was great, and when you set the standard that high, it's difficult to come back and uh, meet it every time. But I'm hearing good things about this season three, so that uh, kicks off uh, today, July 4th, on Netflix. And um, if you're like me, you will start watching it and probably have it done in a couple days. That's Kind of the neat thing about these uh, Netflix shows or these other streaming shows is you can binge watch them, binge watch them, watch them uh, all pretty in rapid succession and get through them pretty quickly. It just makes you wait a lot longer to see another one, but it's kind of cool to do it that way. Anyway, welcome to the program, everyone. We've got a great show tonight for you. We're going to be talking about something very, very fascinating, and it's kind of nipping at our heels, if you will. This idea of of uh, machine and man coming together. The Improvement of Humans Through the Use of Technology. Uh, Ryan O'Shea is an entrepreneur and a futurist, and he'll be joining us, and we'll be talking about transhumanism. Um, this is a concept that uh, you know we, we keep flirting with because the technology is showing up, and it's becoming all too real. Um, or, in some cases, uh, people are saying it hasn't come soon enough. I guess it depends on your position on this, and we're going to talk about all sides of it with Ryan tonight. We already know that chips are being uh, implanted. Uh, they're doing in pets as well. Uh, you know, that's a step. So a lot to talk about with Ryan when we bring him into the program. I will remind you, though, that uh, tomorrow night's program 
will be a best of, and so will Friday night's program. Both of those shows, best of shows uh, due to the holiday. And then Monday, we'll be back with Daniel Duke. He's the author of a book called Jesse James and the Lost Templar Treasure. Now, Jesse James is Daniel Duke's great-great-grandfather, and he presents evidence that Jesse James hid treasure and encoded maps as part of the Knights of the Golden Circle. That'll be Monday night's discussion. Then we'll have a week's worth of uh, great guests for you as we um, as we enter next week. So uh, keep the phone number in mind as we get to um, the second hour of the show. We will take your phone calls. This will be a bit of a controversial topic. You'll probably have an opinion you want to share. 607-282-4497 is the telephone number. If you'd like a toll-free number, it's 844-687-7669. So a lot to talk about tonight, and we're going to... Begin that discussion in just a few moments. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark, because you deserve to save, too. Become a shark and save. Welcome back to the show. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thanks for being here tonight as you prepare for your 4th of July holiday weekend. I hope you get some time off. I hope you get to spend it with friends and family. Don't do anything dangerous. I will say this. Fireworks are dangerous. Please be careful if you intend to use them for your 4th of July celebration. Um, Tonight we're going to be talking about uh, transhumanism. Our guest uh, tonight is Ryan O'Shea. He is an entrepreneur and a futurist. We're going to talk about transhumanism, biohacking, and the future of humanity. His website is futuregrind.org. Ryan, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. It's great to have you here. Happy to be here. So the first thing um, we should probably figure out here is what is a futurist? So that's kind of a term that I hesitantly use for myself just because I think a lot of people kind of understand what I say when I talk about it. But in general, I like to think about the impact that science and technology will have on society as we move forward. So what I spend my days thinking about is how will things like artificial intelligence, automation, robotics, space travel, and human enhancement change what it means to be human, and how are we going to survive in this future where these technologies exist? So I look forward 5, 10, 20 years and beyond to think about what are the issues that humanity is going to be facing, and specifically, what conversations should we be starting now so that we can be prepared for these technologies and these changes when they inevitably come? In some ways, I would suggest maybe... uh partially accurately, that uh, science fiction has been doing that for a long time for us. Is that accurate, you think? Yeah, I think science fiction is always great at looking forward to what the future could hold. You know, oftentimes those are views of the future that we see in science fiction that are rather dystopian. And I think that's a lot of maybe because of the entertainment value of that. You need to have some kind of conflict for the main characters to overcome, some kind of growth there. Uh, But that is something to look forward to. And, you know, things like Star Trek, for example, which isn't as dystopian. And uh, you see people in the future existing in this kind of traveling the galaxy and exploring and learning. That's kind of what I want for the future. And that show in particular did predict a lot of technologies that we have today. And I think that's going to continue happening. 
Yeah, and I think, um, you know, maybe not any particular film or book or um, other work of art that might be considered science fiction uh, is 100% accurate. But I I know when you go through some of these things, you can pick out bits and pieces of things that we're seeing come true. Like, you know, whether it's Space Oddity or Space Oddity, right, Space Odyssey um, or some other of the monumental works that we've seen in the past 50 years. And you can find pieces of that science fiction that we're actually seeing come to fruition today. Yeah, and I often wonder what is causing that, right? Is it the fact that these science fiction authors and film creators are so adept at looking towards the future, or is it the scientists and technologists that are creating this technology grew up and still watch science fiction? So are they perhaps creating things that they've seen in their youth, and those things are just kind of like creating their own reality? At what point did this attract your attention, and and did you decide it was something that you wanted to look into more thoroughly? Well, I think growing up, I was always interested in science and technology, and I always knew that humans at some points in the future, I thought it was centuries off, would be using this technology to overcome our biological limitations and to explore the solar system and beyond and to inhabit other worlds. And I always thought, like I said, that this was years off, that it would be beyond my lifespan. But then I found out about these communities called transhumanists, where there are people thinking about these things today and actively working to build these things today. And when I found out this was happening right now, I first of all realized that this is incredible. I have to get involved in this community. But also, this is a huge change for humanity. This is a huge change for society. Let's really think about this. Let's think about the ethics of these things, the impact of these things, and make sure that some people, you know, aren't left behind and that we can all be a part of this great future, hopefully, that we are creating together. Yeah, and all those um, bullet points that you just mentioned we're going to be talking about tonight as our conversation continues. Um, When you say communities of people that are talking about these things, do you mean like online groups or something, or are there there compounds where there are people that are exploring these ideas? Yeah, I would say it's primarily an online thing. I think one of the first things that technology helped humans to do was to overcome geographical limitations. You know, it used to be that you could only form groups of people who you were in close physical proximity with. And then with telephones and finally the Internet, that really changed. And we're communicating now from hundreds of miles away, and we're communicating with people around the world in real time. And that's the kind of things that technology is enabling us to do. So, yeah, a lot of these communities of futurists and transhumanists do exist online, but there are also physical conferences that happen. A lot of these conversations happen in academia uh, with philosophers or technologists thinking about these things. Uh, so they're all these conversations are happening all over, but I would say many of them happen, yes, online. Well, you're not kidding. Um, the world has become a much smaller place due to some of this technology. I can tell you, as somebody who's been in radio for a very long time, uh, there was a time when, um, you know, if we wanted to talk to somebody in Europe, say, it was, you know, it took uh, several letters and, uh, you know, calendar appointments uh, to figure it out, and then a very, very expensive toll call to connect to that person and now we can do it all basically instantly in real time for free i mean it it really has changed the landscape considerably yeah and we think this is very impressive right right now we're communicating with voice i can't see you and you can't see me there are of course like facetime calls or skype calls that we could be doing but in the very near future i think we're going to have photorealistic avatars so virtual versions of ourselves 
that can pop in and out of physical reality as kind of uh, it, it's a being in light in a room that you are in, or perhaps in a virtual headset in uh, something like an Oculus Rift, where you can be in a virtual environment with a photorealistic avatar of the person that you're communicating with. So imagine the immersion at that point. You won't even need to be in physical proximity with anyone because you could actually feel like you're really there and have those experiences. By the way, who's going to be in charge of creating those avatars? Because I have a few things I want to change. Yes, uh, (laughs) there's some very interesting things happening right here where I'm based in Pittsburgh. Uh, Facebook Reality Labs, which is a division of Oculus, is here. um, And they are creating this photorealistic avatar. So they have... 360 systems of cameras where they scan every detail of your face and your body. And then as you move in a virtual headset, uh, you are talking to someone as you would in real life. But you brought up a very interesting point there. You know, if you can be whatever you want in virtual reality, why would you want to be the fleshy human that you are, right? Why not be a dragon? Why not be a wizard? You can be anything you want to be in these virtual environments. And I think we're going to open up a lot of possibilities to there to really ask ourselves, what are we and what do we want to be? How much of this uh, quest for these ideas and and understanding these ideas for you personally, or do you think in general is done out of fear versus uh, out of curiosity? I guess it comes probably from both directions for a lot of people. For me, it's a curiosity and a passion for discovery. I I could think that all of these things are impossible, that none of these things would ever come to fruition. I probably wouldn't be following them at that point, but I'd be interested in something else. Uh, I'm always interested in learning more and making discoveries. For a lot of people, you mentioned fear there. I think a fear that a lot of people have is the fear of death and the recognition of our own mortality. And one of the things that a lot of transhumanists want to do and a lot of people want to use technology to overcome is aging and disease and ultimately death. They want to extend healthy human lifespan as long as they can. So that might be a bit of fear creeping into this, but I think it's forcing us to make discoveries. A lot of great discoveries in the past have been made because of fear. Yeah, and that's exactly the fear I was referring to specifically, is I think many of us, um, for, for since the dawn of time, have, have feared mortality and, and illness. Both of those things rank high on the list. Um, we have a couple minutes here before we have to go to break. I want to ask you about Future Grind, because I know you have a website that's futuregrind.org, but you also have a, a podcast. Tell us what those things are. Yeah, so the Future Grind podcast is a podcast that I host that features long-form interviews with technologists and scientists and ethicists that are really either building this technology today or exploring these questions. And the goal of the podcast is to democratize access to this information because one thing that I find a lot, and it concerns me, is that artificial intelligence and robotics and automation are affecting everyone's lives, whether they they realize it or not. And the fact that there are people today who can't tell you anything about AI and artificial intelligence concerns me. So I want to increase the technological literacy about these topics by letting people learn from the experts for free online, wherever they want, and that way they can join into these conversations and their voices can be heard. So Future Grind is focused on exploring the ethics and impact of these emerging sciences and technologies. And I really started the podcast because I had worked with a company previously called Grindhouse Wetware, which focuses on human augmentation. So creating implantable devices 
to expand humans beyond their biological limitations. We got a lot of press attention for this, as you might expect, but I noticed that a lot of this press attention was sensationalistic and focused on the fear and what are these people doing and what does it mean? And they weren't accurately telling the story of what we were doing. So I realized right at that point that if we're going to actually do something meaningful and we're going to let people into these conversations, we need to control the narrative. And that's what I wanted to do with Future Grind. We have about a minute here. Um, We look all around us and we see technologies that are right on the cusp of crossing these lines that we're talking about tonight. What do you think was the most important um, introduction uh, technologically that has uh, propelled us here? Was it the computer? Was it the Internet? Was the what do you think was the most important event in the last 50 years that's brought us here? In the last 50 years, I would say definitely the Internet. I, I think it had this digital revolution that we've been experiencing, I would say, since the 70s, but really before that, leading up to today, has changed everything. But right now, that's changing. We are leaving the digital age, and we're entering the biological age. What we're going to see influencing us the most over the next few decades is biosciences and life sciences, and really changing what it means in your DNA, in your brain, and those are the areas of discovery and change that are on the cusp of changing everything right now. Ryan, um, one of the things you said before we went to break made me think over the break about the idea of science's effort to cure disease. Have we been barking up the wrong tree all this time? Should it, instead of being an effort to cure disease, should it be an effort to replace the faulty parts of the human body that uh, are diseased themselves? Yeah, when you talk about life extension, there are two very different angles that people often come at it from. One is the biological and one is the technological. Um, I would consider what you mentioned there, both treating disease and recreating broken human body parts with biological replacements as part of the biological component. Uh, It's staying this human fleshy thing that's meats and and neurons that we are. Uh, The other option would be replacing human biology with technology. So we're seeing some movement in this direction with prosthetic limbs and exoskeletons that people sometimes wear to expand their strength. So those are the two different ways that people are looking at. I think right now the most promising is the biological route. So that would be we're doing technology now to 3D print organs or to regrow limbs in some cases that we're working with uh, or to prevent disease and reverse aging. Those are on the biological side. There are other people on the technological side that are trying to replace your human biological organs with technological versions of them. And the end goal of the technological side is to replace the brain, ultimately to get the brain into a non-biological substrate. At that point, if you can upload the brain to a server or a hard drive, you know, what limits do you have? What's the need for a body at that point? So that might be getting to the realm of science fiction a bit at this point. That also gets into questions of, who are you and what are you? If you upload your brain, is that still you? Are there two of you? How does that work? There's a lot of philosophical questions you can get into there. But when it comes to extending the lifespan, there are both the biological and the technological route. Yeah, and we're going to get into uh, that particular discussion, the idea of uploading your your brain, your personality, your memories into some form of digital uh, system, whether it's a computer or something similar. We're going to get into that because that presents a lot of interesting um, conflicts and ideas. But I want to back this up a little bit. We've been using the word transhumanism. Define that for us. Sure. So, so to me, transhumanism is simply the idea that we can and should 
use science and technology to overcome human biological limitations. That's a very simplistic definition. Uh, and based on that definition, we are already using transhumanist technology, right? Uh, we're talking through the internet now. So we're talking over the phone. Our voices cannot do that biologically. We're using technology to mediate our abilities there. Uh, right now, there's a thin sheet of plastic between my cornea and my eyelid that allows me to see better. That's a contact lens. So technology has actually invaded my body at this point. It's on my eye, helping me to see. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are using those contact lenses or glasses that are on their face, which is technology augmenting their body. So, you know, you can really split hairs here. Are we all already transhumanist? Perhaps. Uh, what's the difference of taking that a step further? You know, many of us drink coffee for the stimulants effects. How is that different than some kind of neuroenhancer drug that one might take for stimulants effects? You can really look at this from a lot of different directions. For those who would be, uh, you would call transhumanists, if that's a word, or those are the, that are thinking through these ideas and, and uh, are proponents of transhumanism, what, what would you say the objective here is? Is it quality of life? Is it immortality? Is it somewhere in between? I would say many transhumanists. Yes, that is the term for people who consider themselves transhuman is transhumanists. Uh, yeah, one of the goals, main goals is, I, I hesitate to use the word immortality. I would say indefinite life extension would be one of those goals. Uh, but I don't want to pigeonhole everyone into that goal. There are people who would be considered transhumanists who want to live a normal biological lifespan, but what they do want to do maybe is increase their memory or increase the speed that they can run or increase their strength. All of these are biological limitations that hold us back that might not have anything to do with your lifespan, but people want to overcome. Uh, to me, the people who are interested in transhumanism don't want to be hindered and bound by the chance variations and mutations that they were born with, uh, right? It used to be that you were born with a certain color of hair. You know, you were born with a certain, your skin didn't have tattoos, it didn't have piercings. Through technology, we're already changing the aesthetics of the human body. Transhuman just takes that a step further. We want to be able to change the aesthetics. We also want to be able to change the functionality. We want to be more on the outside as we feel on the inside, and we don't want any biological roadblocks to that. You mentioned uh, contact lens as an example of a, um, a technological device, if you will, something developed by man through technology and science that is used commonly to augment human performance in a way. I mean, that's a perfect example of that, and it's a very simplistic form. Um, does adding an augmentation to the human form allow that form itself to remain human? And I would say, obviously it does. A contact lens, I do not think you could argue, makes the wearer inhuman. Um, but at some point it might. Where is that line? Yeah, it's a very interesting question of what does it mean to be human. I think all of us have different definitions of that, and I don't think anyone can agree on it. But you bring up another interesting issue there, which is what's the human relationship with technology? I would say many people wrongly look at technology and human as separate. But really, it's a feedback loop. We create the technology, and the technology in turn creates us. And I'll give you a very good example of this. The creation of fire and the use of fire to cook food. When this happened tens of thousands of years ago, and humans started cooking our food over fire, we outsourced some of the major jobs of our teeth and our mouths and our digestive system. So what happened? After years and generations, 
our teeth physically changed, our digestive systems physically changed, our body changed based on the technology that we were using. So it is this feedback loop. We create the tech, the tech creates us. There's no separation there. And it's happening now today where we're outsourcing lots of our memory to cell phones. We don't remember phone numbers like we used to because it's all on our contact list. We used to have brains that were functioning for these things, and now we're slowly evolving based on our technology. There's this constant feedback loop, and I don't think there's a barrier there. But it's going to be a very interesting question of what is humanity? When do we become transhuman, and when do we become something perhaps beyond that? When do we become post-human? I think those are all semantic questions. I think they're worth thinking about from a philosophical level, but I don't think they're extremely important when you get to the, the, the details of it. Clearly not everyone believes this is the right thing for uh, humanity, to, humanity to be doing or pursuing. Um, you know, there are people who feel like, uh, oh, there, there are those who feel like any type of augmentation to the human body is inappropriate. Uh, and then there are many others that fall somewhere in between that would say, okay, well, it's all right till you, till you get to this point. When you talk to somebody who feels that way, uh, are you able to convince them to think, of, think about it differently? And if so, how do you do that? Well, it's very interesting that when I have these conversations with people, it seems odd that many of them do have dyed hair or fake fingernails or piercings or some other augmentation. They are not the normal biological human that they were born as. They've changed their body in certain ways. And I point that out to them, and I ask them to justify that. And when I do that, they're kind of stumped a little bit. And I draw those parallels between these extreme changes with technology that we're often thinking about and the ones that they often don't think about. Um, you know, with transhumanism, it's just using what we know about the body to change it to be what, more of what we like. That's dieting. That's exercise. You know, animals don't diet and exercise. Only humans do that because we understand how those activities will change our body. Uh, and that's, I think, all it is really at that point. But at the end of the day, I'm not necessarily interested in changing people's minds. If someone wants to live and die as a biological human, more power to them. I completely support that in their decision, and absolutely no one should be forced to augment themselves or augment others. Bodily autonomy is a huge issue, and it's one that I fight very strongly for. Uh, you mentioned uh, exercise and dieting and changing the human form. Um, it certainly does change the human form, but it's not introducing an artificial way to change the human form. I would suggest that's, that's a very natural way to do it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things you can think of with natural. As you mentioned, things like coffee, for example. Coffee beans are natural. The, the drugs that are contained within coffee beans are natural, and they have, a, they, have, they have an effect on the human brain. If you synthesize caffeine in some unnatural way where it didn't grow in a bean but instead came in from a laboratory and it had the same effect on the brain, is that natural or artificial? Yeah, I feel like there's these... Words that we often use, but when we think about them, uh, where does that break down? There's a naturalistic fallacy that a lot of people use, which is nature equals good, man-made or artificial equals bad. And, you know, the apples that you eat have cyanide in them. Um, the, the almonds you eat have arsenic in them. Uh, these are things that are natural but maybe not the best. Meanwhile, if you can get rid of those things with artificial means, with technology, perhaps that's the way to go. But, yeah, as I mentioned, I'm, I totally understand concerns about these things with technology augmenting the body. I don't want to minimize that at all. Those are conversations absolutely worth having, and they're concerns worth raising. 
We are frequently hearing about uh, genetic manipulation, the idea that you can choose the sex of your child or you can choose the eye color of your child. Uh, All sorts of options are starting to be discussed. Is genetic manipulation a part of transhumanism? Yeah, I would say manipulating genes and catering them to be what you would most desire is a big part of transhumanism. And that's honestly where some of the most exciting discoveries and changes are happening now. Uh, People in the audience might be familiar with CRISPR, which is a really revolutionary gene editing tool that kind of came out of nowhere a few years ago. And it's still in studies now, but there's a lot of positive news and developments about what's happening with CRISPR, which is essentially just snipping out certain areas of the human gene and DNA and replacing it with something else that you might want more of. So if you want the gene for blue eyes or blonde hair or strength as easily as we can nail these down, that's something that is within the realm of possibility and will continue to be as more science discoveries are made. Do you see, I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this question because um, I don't want it to be so uh, broad that it's hard to come up with an answer, but do you see any of this as being dangerous? Uh, For example, if let's say uh, everyone wanted to be a a piano virtuoso and they found the gene that allowed you to do that and they gave everybody that gene, then that would make that skill somewhat useless, wouldn't it? Uh, I, I think there's always going to be a desire for good music and you could be an expert, you know, classical piano player, or you could be a jazz piano player. So I think there's going to be a lot of diversity, even if everyone was an expert piano player. Everyone has their own life experiences and input and creativity put into put into that. But I don't think everyone's going to choose the jazz route, right? There's going to be a hyper-specialization, which, for example, if you choose to be the world's best ballerina, that's going to make physical changes to your body. That's probably not going to make you the world's best weightlifter, just for, you know, throw two examples out there. So what, what you specialize in one area, you might give up a bit in another. And I think humans are going to diversify in what they choose to specialize in and what they choose to focus on. So I think, if anything, we're not going to see everyone moving to the same standards of beauty or talent or skill. We're going to see everyone branching out into new and unique forms that we haven't even thought of yet. Some people, we mentioned earlier that some people would be very resistant to these ideas, and they are, and they are vocal about it in many ways. Uh, there are others that take it to an extreme. I mean, there's talk of Big Brother uh, issues, and then there are talk of uh, biblical issues like the Mark of the Beast. Uh, where do you see those issues in all of this? Yeah, I get those objections a lot, uh, both in the size that people think this is a government conspiracy or an Illuminati conspiracy. They just want to get these microchips in people so they can track them or control their brains in some way. Uh, I want to be clear that based on the state of the tech that we have today, uh, that a lot of that is just not possible. Um, there's not a powered implant that is small enough to be put in the body and last long enough to track you, as many people think. Even the ones we put in pets today are not tracking chips. They are RFID or NFC chips, meaning that they have to be inches away from a reader to get any data off of that. Uh, so that's the current state of the technology. Not to say that there won't soon be a very small GPS tracking trip or a way to control kind of brain waves and brain function that can be manipulated. Uh, That doesn't exist yet, but I'm sure people are working on it. That's why we need to have these societal conversations, to let people know what the current state of the tech is, what is coming, and what kind of rules and regulations should be in place so we bring this place in. 
I, I understand the fear. I think a little bit of that fear is misplaced, but I, I share the concerns and I am very worried about these things as well. So I don't want to minimize any of that. And that's part of the reason why I have things like the Future Grind podcast to dive into these issues further. Now, let's say that there is, we only have a, about two minutes here before our break, but let's say there is a body that sets up uh, ethical guidelines, rules, restrictions, whatever it happens to be. Anytime you have ethics, rules, and restrictions, you're going to have someone that breaks those rules. And with this particular kind of technology, the stuff we're talking about here, that could be very, very consequential. It could. Uh, just a little bit there, I, I'm working with one of these groups that are trying to be ahead of the curve to set these ethical guidelines and regulations. We're trying to get that off the ground now, so there might be something to announce here in the future on that. But there are grave concerns about what happens if the technology is misused. It's always going to be a question of, does the reward outweigh the risk? At this point, I think it does. But it's possible there could be a future technology that we say, no, having this technology is not worth the, the risk. That should be illegal from the outset. And it's going to be interesting to see how we as a society deal with those issues. Do you think this, uh, this is a role for government or is this a role for some type of um, private group, a consortium of maybe technolo- technology companies or something? I think it should be a combination of all of that. As small as the government can be and as least obtrusive as the government can be, I'm in favor of that. When you're dealing with existential risks in the future of humanity, if there's anything that a government should be involved with, I think it might be that. So I I think they definitely have a role to play. But a lot of it's going to come down to the citizenry and us ourselves. How do we interact with the technology? How do we want to see it used? And how do we use our voices to make sure that it is used in an appropriate way? I will remind you, tomorrow night we have a best of program due to the 4th of July holiday, and then Friday night is always a best of here on Beyond Reality Radio. Monday night, Daniel Duke will be here, and uh, he is the author of a book called Jesse James and the Lost Templar Treasure. He is actually Jesse James's great-great-grandson, and he has evidence that uh, Jesse James hid treasure and encoded maps as part of the Knights of the Golden Circle. We'll talk about that Monday night. Of course, many other guests coming up next week on Beyond Reality Radio. The phone lines are open, by the way, at 607-282-4497 if you want to join our discussion about transhumanism. Or you can use the toll-free number at 844-687-7669. Ryan, as we continue this discussion, there's a kind of a, an 800-pound gorilla in the room, if you will, um, we haven't talked about it. I don't know what your feelings are about it, but a lot of people have very, very strong feelings about it, and that is the human soul. At what point does the soul uh, either play a part in this or not play a part in this? And if we transfer our our consciousness to a computer of some sorts, we digitize it in some way, is it possible to transfer the soul as well, or do we, in that case, become... Um, non-human because we can't transfer that whole, that soul. I think the concept of soul is a little bit of a controversial one. I don't think you're going to get scientific consensus on what that is or if it even exists. When I think about the soul as we typically mean it, I would typically think of that as synonymous with consciousness. They are one and the same. What are you if not your consciousness? And therefore, I would say that's what the soul is. Now, getting into consciousness, that's a whole other issue. We have no idea what that is, where it stems from, when it starts, how it starts, or anything else like that. In fact, we can't even prove consciousness. We know that 
we ourselves are conscious because we experience it, but we can't prove consciousness in other people or animals or anything else. Uh, so that's a very interesting question that you get into. And especially when it comes, we mentioned er- earlier, mind uploading. Uh, what does that mean when you upload things? Is, is your consciousness transferred? Is that a conscious thing then in that digital system, in that cloud server? Or, or, or is that not you? Is it just your memories? Is there actually an experience there? These are things that we don't yet have answers to. And I'm kind of hesitant to think that it might be a conscious experience. I, I'm really not sure. The other way to look at that is, is artificial intelligence eventually perhaps becoming conscious. It could be conscious today, and we just have no idea. But I think people are quickly working towards a way where we're imagining artificial beings that we create that achieve consciousness. How do we treat them when that happens? This is all going to open up a world of ethical and philosophical questions that I don't have answers for. So that's why I'm looking forward to community conversations like the ones I'm trying to start. Yeah, I'm curious as to what the communities that you're involved with now are saying about, and I'm going to go back to this word soul because I'm not sure how else to uh, describe it. Um, You know, and the soul for the purposes of this discussion is something that remains even when the body is gone. Um, Is there discussion within your communities about this particular part of the equation? Or is it just basically, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if it's discounted as not uh, not something that exists. Yeah, I would say it's primarily discounted as something that doesn't exist by most people that participate in this community. Uh, the only reason for that is this is a very rational, scientific-minded community. And while there have long been theories about the soul, the existence of soul, what it is, what it does, there haven't been, to the best of my knowledge, any studies that have shown evidence of the soul, of what it could be, where it could reside, and until we have those studies, I think it's often going to be discounted. That's not to say that it doesn't exist and that won't soon be proven. But I think a lot of people are waiting to see that data. Yeah, and, and we are in a bit of a unique situation here on this program because we have people that on the show often talking about the soul and experiences they've had, whether it's an out-of-body experience or uh, something else that may point to the existence of something that we would call a soul. So I guess we're in a bit of a cocoon here, and maybe the communities that you're talking with are in a different, in in a cocoon uh, that would be on the opposite side of that discussion. Um, Yeah, really quickly there, if I can can jump in with that. Uh, I, I do think the way that I was using consciousness as a synonym for soul would work well in that situation. When you talk about things like astral projections or dreams or, you know, perhaps spirits or ghosts, what, what is that other than perhaps consciousness having a different experience or existing in a different plane or a different realm? Uh, I, I'm not definitely not speaking for the community there, but for me personally, I would use consciousness and soul interchangeably and synonymously. Yeah, and you, you actually, uh, I understand that you have an interest in some paranormal phenomena as well, and we're going to get into that discussion because I find that rather un- interesting given what we're talking about now. Um, you mentioned smartphones earlier. I've often thought that much of what we're talking about right now is actually held in the palm of our hands in this device that we know as a smartphone. Um, It's hard for me to remember the day, and I certainly am far old enough to remember it, uh, but it's hard to remember the day when uh, any information I wanted was not immediately available at my fingertips, as it is now. Um, And this device isn't necessarily implanted in us, but now we have watches that allow us to access it. We have uh, glasses like Google Glasses or whatever they're called that allow us to access this type of information and use it. Um, We're really uh, a couple of steps in that direction already with this device we call the smartphone, aren't we? 
Yeah, I think technology is getting closer and closer to our bodies. We used to have these mainframe computers that took up entire rooms. Then they moved into our houses, where they still took up an entire desk. And then they moved to our laps, and then they moved to our hands. Now they're being attached to our bodies with Fitbits and smartwatches. They're being interwoven into clothes. We have smart clothing now. They're starting to infiltrate our bodies, first as medical technology and then as elective augmentative technology. I think the ultimate end goal is this technology is going to be hooked directly to our brains. Our brains are going to be receiving this information directly to them without these interfaces of our sense of touch or a sense of sight being the mediator for this information. It's going to go directly to the brain, and I think that's really going to speed things up, but it's going to freak a lot of people out. One of the th- one of the objectives uh, that we've talked about with transhumanism is this uh, ability to extend the human life experience. Whether that means immortality or not, we're not entirely sure. We didn't agree on that per se. Um, but even the idea of extending uh, a person's lifespan significantly, which this technology has the uh, possibility of doing, potential to do, uh, does that create problems? with uh, overpopulation, the inability to feed people? I mean, what are the consequences of something like that? Yeah, that's a very, that's a concern that's often raised. I would say those are less issues of population and more issues of efficiencies. If we increase the human lifespan and are still giving birth to more humans and the population significantly rises and we are still using fossil fuels for our energy source and we are still grazing cattle and have large fields growing crops for us to eat, yes, that's going to be an issue. But I think in the future, we're going to be moving towards renewable energy sources. We're not going to have the type of pollution that we're having today. There's already things such as lab-grown meat, where we no longer have to grow and kill an animal to eat. We can actually grow that same protein in a lab that's indistinguishable from the animal version. Uh, when, we, when these things take off, we can support a population that is much higher than it is today, at a much more efficient rate. Uh, And then when you talk about things like moving off the planet altogether, populating Mars and the moon and beyond, uh, physical space doesn't become an issue anymore, and we can really be free to expand what it means to be human. And ultimately, the ultimate end goal is if we do upload ourselves or if we do exist in a virtual environment in addition to the physical environment, then our previous understandings of physical space and use of materials and energy goes completely out the window and we have whole new systems to work with. You've uh, you've done this several times to me tonight. You've beaten me to the punch here. My next point was going to be um, there. When we talk about space travel and in particular uh, contact with other uh, intelligent life forms, it's often assumed or discussed anyway that those life forms or our life form would have to be in some way artificial to be able to make the distances required for that contact to happen. In other words, if we were to make contact with an alien race here on Earth, that alien race would have to be in some form of um, a, uh, a machine or mechanical or cyborg type presence because a physical body couldn't make the the the, uh, the distances that we're talking about for that contact to occur. Is that what you meant when you just said? Yeah, I think if humans are going to venture beyond our planet, we'll need to change. We were involved to survive on Earth. With this level of oxygen in our atmosphere, with the food we have available, with the temperatures we have, with the level of solar radiation that hits us, we evolved specifically for this place at this time. 
If we're going to go beyond our planet, we're going to need to change. And a lot of people don't know this, but that's actually the source of the word cyborg. Cyborg was actually invented to talk about humans changing themselves for spaceflight in the 1960s. Uh, and that's something that's definitely going to happen. And you brought up a great point there. If there are aliens visiting us from other civilizations, it's quite likely that they are non, not completely biological, that they would have gone through the same processes that we did and changed themselves using technology. And there's a lot of talk of the Fermi paradox, which I'm sure some, of you, some in your audience might know, which sure. is if we're in this expansive universe, why aren't we seeing aliens everywhere? They should be out there. Uh, one of the thoughts might be that even if these civilizations reach some great filter, which kills them off, whether it's nuclear war or a global pandemic, that all of these civilizations eventually reach, there could still be their machines out there. So it's quite likely that even if we are the only biological intelligent life on Earth in the entire universe, that there could be machines out there from long-dead previous civilizations that are still traveling around. So the aliens that we come into contact with might be machines. One of the things that's always concerning when you talk about these types of leaps and advances in technology that can make you stronger, make you live longer, make you whatever, um, is that somewhere and somehow, and they probably will be used first for military purposes. What happens when we have armies of either enhanced humans or robots uh, roaming the earth? At what point does that become so counterproductive that any advances we make for us ourselves individually are completely negated? Yeah, I mentioned previously that I work with a company that develops some of these augmentative technologies that go in the body. And I can say that some branches of the military have reached out to us to have conversations about what it is we're developing and how potentially could that be used on a battlefield or in any other warfare situation. And those are conversations, quite frankly, that we aren't interested in having. Uh, many people in this community feel strongly that this should, technology should only be used for peaceful purposes, that it shouldn't be used in warfare. That's not to say that it won't inevitably go to that route. But I think warfare is changing. We're having a lot less of the one country sends their people, another country sends their people, and they fight it out on the battlefield. Uh, that's not really how it is anymore. We're having a lot more of this digital warfare, and I think that's going to continue. And as the world becomes more interconnected and more globalized, and the economy of one country is directly related to the success of the economy of another country, I think we're going to have less global conflict, conflict in general. Because to, for America to succeed, factories in China still have to exist. Oil in the, the Middle East has to be pumping from the ground. So we can't have these destructive wars that we are typically used to having. Uh, I think it's not going to move in that direction. So I, I'm really positive for the future when it comes to conflict and warfare. I think humans are moving past that, and I hope that continues. I love your optimism. But as you know, all it takes is one madman. All it takes is one um, uh, an overpopulation situation where there, a nation can't feed itself and they become desperate. Uh, you know, there are a lot of one-if scenarios, and, and all it's going to take is one to, that could create the type of war that we're talking about here. And if the technology advances to the point where, you know, it might not be a nuclear bomb, but it's an army of uh, indestructible robots, we're talking about a completely new uh, level of warfare here. Absolutely. And you brought up something very interesting there when you said one madman. Uh, it's very likely that we are moving to a point where a single human can have the technology powers themselves to cause immense damage. 
when we have the technology to have basically unlimited access to energy, to the science to make nuclear weapons, to the science to make biological weapons, whether it's disease or something else, you can have a single person make catastrophic damage throughout the world. That's going to be the biggest concern going forward is these lone rogue people that are out doing things themselves. And there's a lot of theories about what we can do about this. Uh, There's a lot of thought maybe AI could help us in these situations. But that, I think, is going to be the biggest issue is what happens when a single person can cause immense damage. You, uh, you, you mentioned that we're fighting digital wars, these cyber wars, I guess, would be another way to describe them. Do you think we're at risk of, uh, you know, we hear the power grid being um, devastated by a, a hacking situation. Are we at risk of that right now, do you believe? Yeah, there's a lot of depend- depending that we have on the infrastructure that exists, whether that's the power grid, the satellites that are in space, which are a GPS technology or time tracking technology. We are at the whim of people who could take these things down at any moment. One of the things I think a lot of people need to focus on is not being completely reliant on this technology. It's a great tool, but let's not forget how to grow food. Let's not forget how to sew. You know, these things are skills that I think we need to take with us into the future, even if we are outsourcing most of them to machines. Uh, I think we're going to be pretty safe when it comes to these things, but there are going to be outages. There are going to be challenges, and these things are going to be a target for warfare or terrorism. So let's be prepared, and let's make sure that we do things safely. Where do you see all of this, if you could sum it up for us, in, say, 50 years? What I want to see happen is for humans to be able to live lives in the way that makes us happy and to do what we want to do. You know, there's a lot of fear of automation taking jobs and human labor being replaced by machines. You see that happening with truck drivers, with cashiers, with legal work. Um, That's something that I think is going to continue, and a lot of people fear that. They think it's terrible. I love that, and I want it to continue happening because humans should not be forced to spend our lives doing monotonous labor that a machine could do just so we can justify our existence, just so we can justify our right to live. Um, Now, of course, there are a lot of concerns about that. Where is our sustenance going to come from? Who is going to provide that? Machines are doing all the work. Who owns the machines? Who has access to the the fruits of that labor? We're going to have to talk about that as a society, what economic form makes the most sense. We mentioned Star Trek earlier. They have a non-monetary economy once they came about with the replicator. Once they came around with the replicator, work didn't need to be done to create food or goods. They could enjoy life and they didn't need money anymore. It'll be interesting to see where we go in the future like that, but that's the kind of goal that I want to have, where humans can spend our time exploring or perfecting skills or learning and doing what makes us happy with us, spending time with each other. Uh, You know, there's a lot of fear that technology will make us less human. Uh, Do you know when I think we were the least human was when we were fighting for resources and sustenance in the deserts, before we, you know, that's when we didn't have this technology around us. We spent all of our lives fighting to survive. Now we have technology, and we spend more time than ever with recreation, with relationships and friendships and having fun and learning and having conversations like we're having now. And I want to see more of that as technology continues to help us out. Let's talk about the paranormal. Uh, You've mentioned that some of this technology can actually be used in paranormal investigations, and you consider yourself interested but very skeptical about paranormal topics. Tell us your your opinions uh, of things like ghosts, UFOs, 
Bigfoot maybe, and then let's talk about the technology and how it can be used. Sure. Uh, to quote the X-Files, I want to believe, and I truly do want to believe. I am fascinated with ghosts and the paranormal. I have been from my earliest days, um, always going on little investigations, watching the television shows like Ghost Hunters. I grew up with that. Now I do a lot of that myself on paranormal investigations. This is something that I've long been fascinated by. And, of course, my interest in technology to augment human capabilities blends in with that interest in the paranormal. So, for example, a very easy technological augmentation that a lot of people get is an implanted finger magnet. So this is a small neodymia magnet that goes into the tip of the finger. This can be used to do neat bar tricks like pick up a paper clip or pick up a bottle cap, but it also adds sensory augmentation. So using this magnet, you can actually feel electromagnetic fields. Now, I'm sure a lot of paranormal investigators are very interested by that now because they know that electromagnetic fields are often seen as an evidence of a spiritual presence or a ghostly presence. So when you actually have this magnet implanted in your finger, you can feel electromagnetic fields changing around you. So where you typically would need a Mel meter or an EMF meter to notify these things, you can feel it in your finger yourself. It's always on you. It's always there. It's a literally a new sense. So if you believe that EMS fields are indicative, are indicative of ghosts, you can actually feel that. One other example would be some of the devices that we make are physiological trackers. So they are implants that go in the body that monitor things such as your heart rate, your breathing, your stress levels, and your movement. You hear a lot of people on paranormal investigations that have experiences where they say, I felt a cold air or something touched me or my breathing changed, or my, I'm having a physiological change. A lot of that's anecdotal. You can't prove it. You just have to take their word for it. Now, if you have these trackers, you have a real-time log of what their body is experiencing. And if they say they are experiencing something, you can point to that exact time and say, yes, that was a real physical sensation that you had. Here's the data to back that up. And many times, if you have something like an image of an orb or a shadow moving into someone, and that corresponds with these feelings they are feeling, you might have some more validation for that evidence if you have that physiological information gathered. We are moving very quickly with this technology. Uh, in fact, it seems to be more of a revolution at this point than an evolution. Um, you know, one of the things that's talked about quite frequently currently is this idea of RFID chips being implanted into people. I know they're doing a lot with peps or pets. And you mentioned that, you know, it's not really a threat because the readers have to be so close. Um, but at what point, and do you think it's possible that this technology becomes mandatory? Uh, I think that people might want to make it mandatory. I am 100% against that. I can tell you that pretty much everyone that works hands-on with this technology and works in the human augmentation community is also 100% against that, and I honestly don't see it ever happening. I, I think that we have a strong enough voice that we're not going to let that happen. Um, it's just not something that I see really coming to pass. I think more people respect bodily autonomy than want to violate it, and I think that's going to continue. You know, I live here in Pennsylvania where there are pretty high populations of the Amish. And the Amish live in today's society, but they decide that they don't want to use the technology of modern day. They live like it is centuries ago, and that's completely fine. They choose to live that way. And I think that's going to happen with, te with technology like this as well. 
there are people that are going to choose to not participate in the society that is augmenting themselves. That's completely okay. They should be allowed to do that. In fact, I think that's beneficial for everyone. You want that diversity. You want those pockets of different people to exist with different perspectives living differently. That helps everyone out. Yeah, and I was going to ask that as well. Does this homogenize the human race? As I mentioned, I think this is going to be extreme diversity. We talked about things such as traveling to other planets. Uh, I imagine that a race of people that want to make their home on Venus is going to eventually be very, very different than the people that choose to stay on Earth. The same thing for people that might choose to not have a home planet, but to live in a spaceship traveling the galaxy. You're going to have people completely change themselves. Um, You know, centuries ago, we all looked pretty much the same. There was a few skin colors. There was a few hair colors. That was pretty much it. Now today, we can change all of that about ourselves. We're putting designs on our skin. We're changing our hair. Technology allowed us to change the aesthetics of the human body. Imagine when we're able to genetically modify ourselves to add scales or lizard skin or tails or wings. You know, this is getting kind of sci-fi now where we're talking about a distant future, but some people are going to want wings and some aren't, and that's really going to add diversity to humanity. (laughs) It sure will. Um, One of the things we find with new technologies and even new ideas in many cases uh, is that there's this law of unintended consequences. What Have your groups talked about the possible unintended consequences of all this? I would say that's one of the main things our groups talk about. You know, you can have the best of intentions and things can go wrong. We talk about that a lot when we're working with biosciences, so things like genetic engineering, where you might intend to have one outcome, the outcome ends up being something completely different. Or with artificial intelligence as well, where you might tell an AI system that you want to eradicate depression in humanity, and the AI system determines the best way to eradicate depression is to eradicate humanity. It's achieved its goal, but it's achieved its goal in a way that you didn't first want. Um, So there are a lot of concerns about unintended consequences. Those are just a few conversations, and that's why we need to have these talks before we decide to move forward with these things and really think about what could the impacts be that we don't see. And that's why I think you mentioned the diversity of voices to have a lot of people's perspectives coming in. We need to have those different thoughts. We can really think things through. As people become more and more aware of these uh, ideas and these technologies and these options, um, and they want to learn more and they want to pursue it, what, how do you recommend they get involved? There are a lot of places online where you can just Google some of the words we've been talking about, transhumanism, biohacking, to learn a lot more. Um, I hate to plug myself here, but honestly, the Future Grind podcast was formed really for those reasons. If you want to learn from an introductory perspective and become very proficient in having these conversations, the Future Grind podcast is a great place to start. We, we get into the weeds on some of these areas. We get into the real problems that are the main con- topics of conversation in these areas, but we do it in an accessible way. You could have no background in any of these things jump into an episode of that podcast, and be caught up fairly quickly. So I think that's a great place to start. And I would definitely suggest to people, first of all, who are skeptical of what I'm talking about here, who don't believe it's good, who have concerns about it, those are the exact voices we want to be involved because we want to hear from those people. Ryan, you uh, speak for groups. Um, You travel. You do a lot of things. Is there anything coming up that you'd like to let people know about? 
Yes, I will be speaking on August 31st, which is actually my birthday, uh, in Las Vegas at Biohack the Planet. This is an annual convention where it brings together people who are working in citizen science and do-it-yourself biology and augmenting their own bodies. Um, the person who's putting on that conference, Josiah Zayner, has gotten a lot of attention. He actually sells kits online to enable people to learn to do genetic modification themselves in their home. And he's actually used these CRISPR techniques to modify his own DNA, which is fairly controversial, and he's going to be there speaking as well. How did he modify? So he's doing something called a follistatin knockout. He is trying to increase muscle growth. You're able to look at uh, myostatin knockout or follistatin inhibitors online. You'll see pictures of cows and dogs that are extremely muscular because they're basically missing this gene that inhibits muscular growth. So if you're able to knock that out, your muscles can grow pretty much uninhibited. So he did a test on himself. This is something that is not affecting all of the cells in his body. That would be something that would require many injections. It's just a small little test, but the results so far have been positive. There's no negative consequences we've seen come from this. How many years away from real uh, in, incorporation of, and I don't even know what the, what the metric would be, but let's say, um, let's say artificial uh, organs that technology develops, whether it's 3D printed or some other uh, mechanical uh, implant. Are we, are we right around the corner of, from this? Yeah, some of those things exist today. It really depends on the organ that you're talking about and the function of the organ you're talking about. You know, it's a real shame that Many people need organ transplants to survive. And currently the best source of these organs are other humans who unfortunately die. That's a terrible, terrible system. So if we can do 3D printed organs that work in the human body or even technological versions, that's something that I am passionate about and something we are actually interested in working on going forward. Um, Not only that, but every organ in your body has a shelf life, right? It's eventually going to go bad. If nothing else kills you first, your heart's eventually going to kill you. So we realize this. We know this is a time frame that we're working with. Why not proactively replace your heart with a technological version while you're still healthy to prevent some of these issues from coming in the first place? That's where I think we're eventually moving, where people will want to replace body parts because it will help them live better. I think a good example of this is prosthetic limbs, right? We see people today with prosthetic limbs, and we consider them disabled in some way. But look at people like Oscar Pistorius. He competed in the Olympic Games as one of the best runners in the world, and he was a double amputee. Now, he didn't win the Olympics, but I can imagine a time a few decades from now where every Olympian has carbon fiber blades as legs rather than biological legs. And then what does that mean for runners who don't have carbon fiber blades, who just have the simple biological legs? Will people choose to remove their normally functioning biological limbs in favor of technological alternatives, if it helps them compete or improve or work better, it's going to be an interesting conversation to have. So, uh, so I have to. We only have about a minute here, but I have to ask you then because I live in Cooperstown, New York. Baseball Hall of Fame is here, and not long ago we had a major controversy with uh, ball players, especially home run hitters, using steroids or performance enhancing drugs. Uh, based on the things we're talking about tonight, would that be would that be acceptable? I, I want to see two different leagues, right? If people want to see biological humans compete with the way they were born, let's have that league. Let's have another league for people who augment themselves and do everything they can to get an advantage. That's who I really want to see compete. <laughs> 
Ryan, this has been a really fascinating discussion. Thank you so much. You're very, very knowledgeable and obviously well-schooled in all of this. And I hope that you'll keep an eye on it for us, and then uh, we'll have you back on the program sometime. Sounds great. I would be happy to be back. Thank you for having me. Sure. And once again, just give out your website and any other social media or anything you'd like people to follow. Sure. So the podcast is Future Grind. You can find that on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Facebook. All the major podcast directories have it. My name is Ryan O'Shea. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just search my name. I should pop up. Thank you for being here, Ryan. Thank you. Leave it to a night that we're talking about technology and incorporating that technology into the human body and watch YouTube collapse. <laughs> watch our stream fail. The irony. <laughs> you know? I mean, it well, could have been... It raises some interesting questions because if we do, say, upload ourselves to the Internet and then the Internet goes down or the Internet's buffering yeah. or, you know, does my consciousness just pause or? Yeah. What I if mean, you have what if there's a you know, we've had hard drive failures before. What if there's a you know, an electric magnet, magnetic pulse that wipes out all of the I mean, obviously there's backups or whatever. But the, um, the thing I meant to ask, too, and I and I just didn't have time with Ryan is that. What ha- an interesting economic issue here is what if we could instantly take not just 12 years of schooling, but 16, 20 years of med school? I mean, <laughs> all this, you know, these, these, these schools that we, we that cost a lot of money and we spend many, many years to learn a skill or um, an idea, and we could just uh, instantly mm. upload them into our brains. Right, like what the, does that do to the education? It, it would be no longer necessary, right? Like the scene in The Matrix. I yeah. know Kung Fu, or whatever he says. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's a pretty interesting angle to all this, too. Well, I mean, you know, if, if we take the approach that uh, education is is a benefit to all of humanity and we treat knowledge as free and uh, open source, then why not give everybody all the knowledge? Right. But let's ask, what about this, too, though? What if you have the knowledge, but you have no practical application of the knowledge? Is it, <laughs> is it still as useful? Hmm. Uh, yeah, good question. And a lot of a lot of weird questions here. Um, and my, but my biggest question is, why did YouTube fail us tonight? And that's still <laughs> the one that really bothers me. I uh, hope everybody has a great Fourth of July weekend. Tomorrow night will be a best of program, as it is the fourth, and then Friday, of course, is a best of as well. And I will see you again on Monday night. Have a great weekend, everybody. Spend it with friends, family, and uh, whatever you feel like doing. But just be safe and be very, very careful. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Take care. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at J.V.J. Paranormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.